What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Um, today, I have Sean Mitchell on the show to talk about some new work he's been doing um, with the government of Colorado to pass a bill to allow electric vehicle sellers to sell direct. I think this is hitting on a much bigger issue, um, which Tesla and now other startups like Rivian are having to face when going against dealer associations. And he's been in the trenches working. So I'm really excited to sort of share this update, learn about this update with you all and, and hear firsthand from Sean um, what he's been working on. So Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. And it's, it's always a pleasure to, to chat it up with you. And I know a lot of people love us uh, bantering back and forth on, on whatever we talk about. So excited to, to dive into this one. Excellent. So um, let's start at a high level. What's going on in Colorado? Um, I think for the past couple of weeks now, you've introduced this bill basically from scratch and um, and it's been moving through, getting along, making a bunch of progress. I think you've been working even with Rivian. They've been involved with this. Um, so yeah, fill us in at a high level what's been going on. That's correct. Yeah. So Rivian has been directly involved. They've been a primary driver in this, in this bill in the Colorado legislature that would provide a, a clear and distinct path for them to sell direct to consumers in Colorado. Basically what this means is that the, it, it, as the law exists right now, they could still sell to consumers direct, but it would be really convoluted and um, it's just there, there's, there's some chances that some of the rules could change and then they would be stuck. So, um, so, so Rivian has been running with this bill. They found some, some, uh, bipartisan sponsors of the bill, and um, it's been working its way through the legislature. started off with the Senate, Senate committee, we did a Senate hearing, and uh, the, the committee took public testimony from lots of dealers, dealerships, dealer association, and uh, some consumers, and of course, Rivian, and um, the, the, some of the environmental agencies, a part of Colorado, who, who are actually supporting this. Uh, it passed through the. It passed on the Senate floor yesterday. It it went to the hearing committee, environmental and energy committee, passed that seven to four, and now so this week it's likely to go to the House floor, get voted on, and um, you know fingers crossed. It looks like there's enough support for this to also be approved by the House. Then it would go to the governor's desk for signature. So it hasn't been without some challenges and some fireworks on both sides, but uh, it wouldn't be fun if uh, there weren't any fireworks and, and sort of friction between uh, differing opinions about what's right for consumers. Amazing progress. And taking a step back at a high level, what was the problem with um, the current like bill or, or state of affairs in Colorado, because I assume Tesla has been selling in Colorado, if I'm wrong, right? Or yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah. So so Tesla's been selling to consumers in Colorado for you know almost ten years now. They got in through a backdoor um, uh, law that 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 was originally created for uh, a school bus manufacturer in Lamar, Colorado, called called Lamar Buses, and. Um, and so that back door got closed. What the Auto Dealer Association is saying is that, you know, if if Rivian wants a dealership license, all they have to do is apply for it. But the thing the thing is, is that um, you have to do some upfront capital investment into into facilities and before you're ever even approved for a dealership license. And so they're, they're, they're a little bit on the hook here. Um, and, and it's, as I said before, it's not as clear as what it should be for, for manufacturers. Now, this bill, if it passes, 
will also be better for, for Tesla as well, because then it means that they're not, they're not limited to one single dealership license like they are right now. Tesla does have one dealership license and then they can create, from my understanding, unlimited sub-licenses. But now, you know, these manufacturers can, can have unlimited uh, dealership licenses as they see fit. And so at a high level, it seems like this is, it blew my mind when I heard about this because it's basically like these auto dealer associations, not just Colorado, but have wield tremendous power, basically uh, not allowing anyone to create a new business model to sell the, like, like car companies can't even sell their own cars to consumers because these dealer lobbies have so much power and they have to go through them. And now Tesla is using this sort of direct to consumer internet first approach that now Rivian is supposed to be using, and it seems to be catching them off guard and causing friction, not just in Colorado, but in like a ton of states, which to me is mind blowing. Cause I'm like, how is this even an issue? Like literally Tesla's just trying to sell cars to consumers. And that apparently is illegal because they don't have a dealer. Like, why shouldn't a company in America be able to set up a store to sell their product to consumers? Like, why is this even, like, how is there even a debate about this? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, today in 2020, it really is anti-competitive laws that have been created to insulate these dealers and dealers associations. But back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, this is all designed to help protect these mom and pops, you know, small startup dealerships that were selling these these manufacturer vehicles that that had far more money and far more influence, and so. These franchise laws were, were were sort of created as as a win win between the two organizations or the, the the two the two the the manufacturer and the dealerships. You know now we're 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 in 2020. Uh, consumers have access to so much more information, and so it's not so much a, a centralized information source like it used to be with with buying a vehicle. You 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 only had the ability to buy a vehicle. Uh, through a dealer and they had all the information and, and they were the gatekeeper. It's actually very similar. It reminds me very similar to what we're seeing in real estate as well, where it's just a sort of level level playing field that's happening where consumers are gaining more power, more information and, and having more more leverage. But in in, in the case of of dealers in, in the auto sales transaction, Auto associations have have a lot of influence, a lot of political influence, a lot of money, and a lot of power to be able to sway these laws and make sure that the laws don't infringe on their ability to operate this single business model. How did you decide to get involved in, what's your story of why you got in the trenches here um, and decided to like sort of take it upon yourself to be involved in this legislation? Well, um, it is a little bit of a personal motivation of mine. I think maybe a little over a year ago, I decided that I wanted to get a little bit more involved in policy in Colorado. And that started initially with a, an electric vehicle charging bill that some Denver Tesla Club owners found sponsors for, wrote the bill. Uh, you know, we, we, we did the whole, the whole bit. And, um, and so it was very much- What was that bill about again? That, not that, letting people block charging stalls, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, you hear about the, the term icing. Um, th this is a law that makes it now um, a ticketable offense to block an electric vehicle charging spot, whether you're an EV or not. If you're, if you're parked in an EV charging spot, you have to be plugged in and charging. So, so now, so, so now there's, there's, there's a law that, that helps encourage 
people not to park in those spots. So that's sort of where it started. And then I had heard last last legislative session in 2019, I heard that Rivian introduced a bill that failed that, to, to allow them to, to sell direct. And, um, and so I only heard about it after it failed. And so I reached out to Rivian and I said, hey, you know, we, we've got a lot of enthusiastic electric vehicle owners, a part of the Denver Tesla Club, and they would love to help you next time you do this. So we, we had some conversations over the last, I don't know, you know six, to, six to nine months, and it was all sort of ramping up to this legislative session in 2020. And um, it's, it, it's, it's gone surprisingly well. And as I said before, not without some fireworks and not without some pushback from the Auto Dealer Association, and, and rightly so. I mean, you know, I understand that they wanna protect their business model, uh, but, you know, what they've, what they've said often is that their manufacturers cannot serve the customer as good as dealerships can. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll use examples like how Ford back in the 90s tried to sell direct to consumer. I think it was in, in, in Oklahoma, in Texas, and failed. They, they eventually pulled out. They'll use examples of, you know, how uh, Tesla customers are having trouble getting in touch with service centers and how you know, uh, owners in, 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 you know, long, long distance places or rural areas have to drive really far to get to service centers because it's not as dense. So, um, but, but, you know, the thing is maybe some of those things are true. Maybe, maybe some of them are not, but if the dealership model is so fantastic, then why are they fighting so hard to keep manufacturers from, from competing with them? Right. And that's the irony. It's like, it's consumer choice. Like, even if what you're saying is true, it's, it's, cons how do you not let consumers get that freedom of choice? And so like, what's, and I'm, I'm kind of curious in, in that lens, what's been the craziest sort of like pushback you've had when dealing with the, these dealer associations and people who just really don't want it? Like, I'm sure you've had some like crazy stories along those lines. Yeah, and they've talked about their their um, hundreds of millions of dollars in, of investment into their dealership locations, into the community. They've also talked about how they sponsor little league teams. But all of these things are, you know, they're they're not. It's not a good basis for asking for the government for legal protection. Um, it's it's great that they're making these investments in, into cities and. In, in, in the state of Colorado by employing people and investing hundreds of millions of dollars in, in facilities and making sure that they're updated and modern and clean. Fantastic. I think, that, I think that people should have a really nice experience when they walk into these dealerships, but why does that mean that they should be protected by law from competitors? You want to know what I think consumers should be protected by law from? It's going into a dealer, a car dealer, and not knowing the price, and then having the car, the the man, them go talk to the manager to fix. Like like that is against anti consumers to me. That's ridiculous. Like I went with my dad to buy a car a long time ago at a Subaru dealer, and I was like, "Is this like am I insane right now, or is this at like like it's taking hours for him to go back to the manager and play this like dance game with the pricing?" And I'm like. To me, it's so ironic that their entire argument is like, it's going to be worse for consumers if we let them have more choice, even though the experience of going to a dealer sucks so much for consumers. It's so ironic. But anyway, um, obviously, I have, I have feelings about this, but I'm kind of curious about 
um, how you think this could lead to a domino effect of more states. Because I know there's some states where it's even worse than Colorado and Tesla cannot sell direct at all, where the dealer associations have an even stronger grip. But I feel like that's why this case is so interesting and important because you're kind of, you know, this could lead to a domino effect, I'm hoping, of where other states, um, we get some finally some traction against these dealers associations. Um, so I'm curious what you think about setting a precedent with Colorado here. I, th- I think that there is a potential precedent, and as I understand it, the Colorado Auto Dealer Association is one of the most influential in the U.S. Um, uh, so it, it's been an interesting experience for me to be involved with the process and push back on on some of the things that I, I just strongly disagree with. You know, I was even going back and forth on Twitter with his name is Tim Jackson. I was even going back and forth on Twitter with the CEO of of Cata. And, um, you know, there's just a difference of opinion about what, what he thinks and what they think is best for the consumer and what actual consumers think is best. And back to your point about the, the whole dealership experience, I've never heard anyone say, all right, let's go to the dealership. I'm so excited to buy a car, right? It's like, it's like a necessary evil because you, you hate to go in and you hate to negotiate. You hate to be worn down and then, you know, the bait and switch and the smoke and mirrors, and then once you buy the car, then it's the service and feeling like you're you know you're 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 getting your you're getting taken advantage of because because that's how most dealers make their their revenue is through the service piece of it. So, um, you know the the I, I think I think it's it, the precedent here. If this if this bill is signed into law, means that when manufacturers environmental organizations and consumers stand up and say, no, 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 no. That's not what is best for consumers. We're going to say what's best because we're the ones who are spending the money buying these cars. And and so, you know, looking at this entire process, if this law passes, which I'm hopeful it will, it seems like there's enough support in the House. But if this law passes, this is a this is a, a template to repeat um, in other states, and I'm talking to Texas and, and Virginia in particular, um, it, it's, it's, it's very much been a team effort. No one person or group can, can take full credit. Rivian has done a great deal by, by putting up the money, hiring lobbyists who work really, really hard and have good relationships with these legislators. Um, you know, it's these environmental organizations, these nonprofits, as well as the government. You know, the governor of Colorado wants to see this. Uh, the, the environmental agencies who are concerned about the smog in Colorado want to see this. And consumers, a large part of consumers just don't like the dealer experience. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that what's, what, what's wrong with at least being able to choose whether a consumer wants the dealer experience or, or direct to manufacturers. So I really do hope that if this law passes, that, that this can be sort of a rinse and repeat. Cons- consumer voice is powerful. One of the other things that I realized, Gally, through this whole process is that, is that the internet and media is an incredibly powerful tool. And it's a really great tool to amplify a message. In this case, I've heavily relied on on Twitter and YouTube and really good friends like you, as well as local media, to help get the message out, and and that's an important component of it as well. It's yeah, it's so cool. I give you huge props for doing this because I'm like, 
you're you've been in the trenches like literally going to court contacting people putting all this work in having meetings i would never have the patience to deal with our legal system like that but um so i give you huge props i'm curious what have you has, has this given you more faith in the legal process or governmental process in the u.s or less faith or because it seems like it's working like you put up you know you're organizing all these people you're getting these new companies together and you're actually like starting to create change which i think is so cool well, I, I think if there's an if there's enough people who speak up for something that it's really difficult for legislators to ignore them. Now, there are particular legislators who are really influenced by dealers because in many cases they have dealers in their district, right? So they're they're a constituent and it's okay for for them to listen to dealers, but you know I, I've sort of gotten the impression, and this is just my opinion, my take on you know someone looking outside in, that some of these legislators are a little bit too chummy with with dealers. In fact, one of the senators who has a lot of dealerships in her district was the keynote speaker for a uh, for the Colorado Auto Auto Dealer Association meetup in Las Vegas, and so it's like. I don't know, even just the perception of it doesn't look right to me, but whatever. So um, what, I, what, what I think I've learned is that it is possible to, to influence legislation if you have enough of a voice, a loud enough voice, and, and you, know how to, you know how to leverage the right mediums to be able to amplify your message. So yeah, I think you know, it, it, it definitely helps that, that there's a large majority of legislators who are sort of dem democrat leaning in you know a lot a lot of them are are environmentally aware and 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 support the idea of of you know less pollution and and you know creating laws that are that are better for the environment and 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 so yeah i i do think that that i have a lot better hope for influencing the legislative process going through this so moving to the other side of this, um, you know, where does this leave the legacy car companies who have these relationships with their dealer networks and are in this sort of catch-22 of like, okay, well, I'm still relying on all my dealers, but I, I'm also seeing that the internet exists. There's an opportunity for me to go direct. Companies that are, you know, winning like Tesla and Rivian are going direct. Um, you know, how does this put companies like GM and, and Ford and the relationships with their dealer networks? Yeah, I have heard some sort of uh, behind the scenes chatter about how automakers feel like maybe it's a little bit unfair uh, because you have some automakers who can sell direct but other ones can't but then again the traditional manufacturers the ones who agree to these franchise agreements with these dealers and so it does really put them in an interesting situation as consumer preference for car buying and car shopping changes i, I just i think that that's what it's really coming down to consumers Preferences for the car buying experience is shifting. People are wising up to the fact that the dealership experience in large part is just not a very fun process for many reasons. So if you remove that friction like Tesla has done and like Rivian will do, I think it's appealing to a lot of consumers. And so what do these traditional manufacturers do as let's just let's just sort of let's just sort of go down that road of let's say that this idea of going direct to manufacture because of uh, of little friction catches catches momentum with consumers. You then have these traditional manufacturers who have these existing agreements with with dealerships 
who are sort of in between a rock and a hard place because they might need to capitalize on the shifting buyer experience preference. And how do they do that if they have these, these dealership, these franchise agreements with these dealers? So a couple of ideas that, that, that I have. Number one, we might see we might see that manufacturers buy out the dealership the dealership agreements with with these with these dealerships that's that's one possible solution it gets them the the employees it gets them the inventory it gets them the facilities in these different cities that could be an interesting strategy for traditional automakers the other one that i that i'm paying really close attention to is manufacturers who either acquire a an electric vehicle manufacturer outright and make that a subsidiary brand of of the company or they buy a majority stake in a an EV startup so that they can have controlling decisions over what that company does. Do you have any thoughts on that? Wow. Yeah, no, a, a lot you said right there. I think the buyout of something to get around the legislation makes sense. But I also think there's this is just such a mess. Like we're hitting on a bigger trend, which is like direct to consumer. Like this isn't just happening for cars. It's happening for every consumer product. The manufacturer is going right to the consumer because this is a better experience. Like I don't think consumer preferences have changed. I think the technology's changed and we have the internet and like you can know about things. You don't need to rely on your dealer to be the only source of information. And like the car industry's just been super resistant to that change and the other thing that's so interesting is like the incentives like tesla says we don't want to make money on service yet dealers are making all their money on service so when you talk about how the incentives are aligned at that core customer level like i just think these dealers are set up to like not be on the customer's side and that is just a huge and that's why like the pricing sucks they're all about service like it, it you know that they don't want to sell electric vehicles because there's no maintenance fees like it's just that's the root of all of these problems like but if i was gm or ford i would do what you're saying like acquire a stake in a smaller ev brand um i was actually listening to tesla daily yesterday and he brought up this really good point that's like why are all these ev companies trying to launch like a, a, a lineup of or like gm trying to launch like 10 evs like a lineup of like here's a cadillac here's this other cadillac here's this bolt here's this hummer it's like why don't you just build one ev that can sell well instead of like trying to you know trying to do 10 evs that none of which will work but um so it's, I don't know, a, I'm it's, a, little... it's the same it's the same sort of process that, that they've always done you know the, the show concept cars that don't come out for five years and then it looks completely different. It, it is it is it is very much a sort of automotive manufacturing smoke and mirrors. It's like, okay, we're gonna get people really excited about this, and then and then we're gonna change it up on them. So so it looks looks and sounds completely different. But yeah, I mean the the execution piece, you know, is is all that matters. And so you can, you know, I watched your video about GM, uh, the GM event, and it it it's true that. All that really matters is executing and if you're not setting firm deadlines or timelines and you're not talking about you know cost and price how serious are is gm or are these companies and so what i think consumers really want is just someone to say what they're going to do and deliver on it as much as possible on time yeah. And I think consumers are voting with their wallets. Like we're seeing Tesla outsell all this competition, you know, with that direct to consumer model, despite the fact that in many states they've had these legal headaches. And so um, I guess bringing it back to 
to the, to your bill if if this is actually successful how do you see this playing out do you see every state you know falling in line is this is this just really the we're scratching the surface of the real change here i i really do hope so and i i think that it's it's fundamental to allowing consumers to choose you know dealers and dealers associations will cry wolf uh, and that that opening us up to manufacturers will put the dealerships out of business. But you know, if the dealership model is is so wonderful and and they provide such a great service to the community in one way or another, then they're going to survive. This is this is business. This is free market and competition, regardless of what business model it comes from in the automotive industry, is going to 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 lift everyone. It's going to make everyone better and. Maybe we'll see less of the smoke and mirrors at dealerships and, and the, the let me talk to my manager strategy, <laughs> just wearing, wearing the buyer down until they give in. Yeah, it's just so ironic that like they're doing it to fight like on behalf of the consumer is their pitch when that's just like the opposite of reality. Like that just blows my mind. But anyway, I, I just wanted to give you huge props on this and so interesting to hear about it on the channel because... Um, I think on one hand, it's like making me sad that this is the reality that even in America, like there isn't a free market and you have to fight through these lobbyists and stuff. Um, But on the other hand, I'm like, wow, Sean Mitchell used the internet, rallied people to get this bill actually passed and is making traction. Like that's the good side is you are able to change this. Um, So I think that's kind of inspiring and exciting. So huge props on behalf of all the, the EV community, because I think this is just scratching the surface of something a lot bigger. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate you having me on. And maybe what I'll do is I'll send you the link to an op-ed piece I wrote that gives a really good summary of you know, my, my position of why this is important. And it also has some links in the op-ed piece for the bill and how people, if they're interested, who are watching this video to voice their opinions to these House representatives, um, how they can reach out to them. So I um, appreciate you having me on. And, and it's always good to, to chat it up with, uh, with you about the automotive electric vehicle industry. Definitely. Yeah, I will put all the links below. So if you are interested in learning more about this, supporting if you're in Colorado, um, I'll definitely put that those resources below. But anyway, thanks, Sean. We'll have you on again soon. And uh, yeah, peace out. See you later.